Entertainment's podcast from Bottomline Technologies. It's a well-recognized fact that payment fraud is on the rise. Fraudsters are exploiting processes, technologies, and education gaps as fast as regulators, banks, corporates, and consumers can plug them. There is one type of fraud that in comparison to other types gets little attention. That's insider fraud. The biggest danger for banks and corporates actually is that most insider frauds go undetected and as such are wrongly considered less of risk. In fact, the 2021 risk quantum analysis showed that in the UK, fraud was cited as the cause behind 38% of total operational risk losses by value on average. The year before it was 22%. So the problem is far bigger than people think. Hello, I'm Ruud Grotens, Head of Solution Consulting for Fraud and Financial Crime at Bottom Line and host of today's payment podcast. On this topic, I'm delighted to welcome our guest, Elizabeth Humphrey. Elizabeth is a financial crime researcher from Tamis, an anti-financial crime technology firm which helps clients identify and manage their specific financial crime risks through a combination of innovation, insight and intelligence. Hi, Elizabeth, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Rude. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to be discussing uh, Themis and Bottom Line's latest research findings and analysis on, on insider fraud today with you. Great to have you. Elizabeth, you have been researching insider fraud and banks, and you worked on the joint Tamas Bottom Line survey report, Insider Fraud in Banks, the post-COVID threat landscape. So kicking off our uh, conversation, maybe you can talk us through the various types of insider fraud that banks should be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks again for having me today. Um, so I guess an increase in insider fraud uh, really since, since the pandemic uh, has made us, at least at Themis, really look more into, look more closely at the sort of state of um, typically under discussed issue um, of in insider fraud. Um, so yeah, I think just to quickly review some of these uh, key types of insider fraud, just so that we can all be on the same page and, and um, recognize really the broad scope of, of the problem of insider fraud. It really does uh, come in many forms, I think. Um, so insider fraud generally in a lot of people's minds, I think, evokes an image of, you know, the malicious employee really siphoning off company wealth um, for sort of private gain in, in big uh, in big ways. Uh, but really, it can mean a lot more than that, I think. And um, malicious attacks are really only one part. Um, there's also uh, less intentional and, and, and more carelessness-driven kinds of fraud, for example. Um, so just to split this into two sort of main groups of fraud, there's the classic malicious internal fraud um, and importantly, uh, collusion with outside actors as well. So this can really encompass, you know, the classic rogue trading, um, collusion with poorly vetted third parties, uh, the active hiding of losses, account manipulation, um, and sort of intentional diversion of funds. Uh, an important part of this, I think, is uh, data theft uh, and collusion with, you know, external bad actors to sort of sell account credentials. Um, and I think a unique part of malicious fraud is often that it takes place on a sort of drip by drip basis um, over a long period of time at a low, often at quite a low level uh, to go unnoticed. Um, 
but yeah, just it's really also important to recognize less malicious and less intentional forms of insider fraud um, stemming from negligence, carelessness, and uh, naivete on the part of employees. And um, I think it's interesting, these are often less damaging as individual incidents, but are actually uh, more prevalent in, in number. It's the dominant form of, uh, of fraud. And in our own uh, survey research that we undertook for this project, um, we found that 77% of respondents were uh, very concerned about non-compliance issues that cause insider fraud um, in this in this sense. So, really, just to get into a little bit of detail, it can encompass you know careless behavior towards, in particular, digital security, which is a big issue during COVID. Um, Social engineering attacks, so uh, phishing and smishing uh, of employees, um, particularly particularly sort of naive employees with less of an understanding of tech, um, as well as agnostic fraud. So this is um, not particularly targeted at the company in a malicious sense, but still is for personal gain. So that would include things like not working or or travel and expense fraud. Um, some of the hotspots for negligence can include call centers, um, where there's a really high volume of calls and, and, and mistakes can easily be made, as well as the remote working environment now. So um, unencrypted device, devices being stolen, um, bring your own device policies being um, poorly implemented and this, and this sort of thing. So yeah, it's really a quite a diverse terrain. Um, and it's important to keep in mind these more um, benign or, or less intentional uh, version. I shouldn't say benign because they can be quite uh, harmful, but uh, more uh, less intentional forms of, of fraud um, that have particularly, I think, uh, been of importance during, during the pandemic. And I think due to the pandemic, uh, the basic level of fraud has increased, right? See, we are seeing new and different weaknesses. And as fast as we plug holes, fraudsters find new ones. What's from your research, what is driving this? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, insider fraud has always been around. It's always been an issue. But um, alarmingly, banks are really facing the highest, apparently uh, the highest rates of insider fraud, you know, in recent history. So uh, there definitely does seem to be an, a real up uptick Um particularly um, since the pandemic. And it really does seem to be linked to that. And just to give a bit of a sense of, of numbers, um, according to our survey, 75% <clears throat> of banks have perceived an increase in insider fraud since this pandemic. And this is really uh, reflected in other data. Major banks have seen a jump from 22% of all fraud being attributable to insider causes in 2018 to 38% um, in 2020. So this is a pretty severe jump. Um, and I do think that the pandemic has created a sort of perfect storm for insider fraud, unfortunately. Um, and this can be usefully understood by referencing the um, classic Cressy's tr fraud triangle, uh, which was uh which was coined by Cressy in the, in the 1930s um, and remains very relevant today. Um, basically, it's a trifecta of three factors that exacerbate, um, that come together to form this perfect storm. So that's um, considered to be opportunity, pressure, and rationalization. And um, together, uh, they, yeah, they, they really can create a, a pretty, uh, an environment that's very conducive to insider fraud. So in the current context, there's definitely more opportunity for fraudsters. Um, 
in at banks, it's it's recognized that um, sort of control and compliance tended to take a backseat um, when ba- banks were sort of forced to prioritize uh, contingency planning, crisis response, and really trying to uphold any semblance of business as usual. Um, and unfortunately, this led to time at times overriding of controls. This definitely created loopholes uh, for fraudsters. Also, the remote working conditions created new opportunities. Our research indeed found that, you know, 80% of respondents saw a higher risk um, of insider fraud and data leaks just from um, the, the fact that so many employees are working from home. And, you know, more digital payments have also been um, coming to the fore. Uh, you know, physical cash and card payments are less and less common and digital payments are more and more common and making, um, you know, all that data that's passing through digital transactions uh, more vulnerable to attack. Um, And I would just say that I think this does call for an increase in automated solutions to fight that fight. Um, 75% of our respondents saw uh, real value in automated solutions around um, fighting fraud, um, including, including payment fraud. And just um, to complete the Cressy's uh, fraud triangle, employees are also coming out under a lot more pressure and a lot more, um, and may see a lot more grounds for rationalizing fraud. You know, health, health and financial issues, uh, performance, emotional pressures, um, all create increased demands on employees, and um, they may may f- find themselves um, turning towards, um, you know, options that they they would previously not have. Uh, undertaken. Um, And indeed, 26% of our respondents um, saw financial strain and uncertainty as increasing fraud. So yeah, some of these are some of the drivers that are uh, really present right now. And and in fact, Themis doesn't really see them as likely to go away, even after the pandemic, Um, particularly given that COVID, I think, has really accelerated this transition to digital work and accompanying uh, risks of that. Um, what 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 do you think of that, Rude? Yeah, right. Yeah, I think due to the pandemic, we have seen an increase in fraud attacks uh, because also the growth of digital activity. Right, people working from home, uh, bank branches closed, so people had to go through digital cha- uh, through the digital channels. That created more opportunity for fraudsters, I think. And there's a sim- there's simply a larger pool of victims and a higher success rate for fraudsters. And in addition to that, I think that um, banking customers have a, well, there's a need for speed. And with faster payments and instant payments, bank, banks only have milliseconds left to detect fraud, right? So there's an increase of opportunity uh, for, for fraudsters. And then I think there's also the issue with uh, impersonation fraud, like um, APP or uh, business email compromise. So as you mentioned, social engineering, phishing are common fraud methods. And Fraudsters are good at impersonating people because they have access to huge amounts of digital data from individuals and organizations. But that information needs to come from somewhere. And maybe it comes from legitimate websites, but it could also come from data leakage or data theft from within a financial institution. I think that is a weak link and that is where the opportunity is, right? So for example, a fraudster may collaborate with someone within the organization who helps the fraudster to gather information on a customer, and then use that information to follow up with targeted phishing uh, messages. And um, I think another aspect, it's um, 
um, that's that is what's called the uh, the great resignation, right? So uh, the pandemic and the working from home culture might also have raised employee loyalty issues. So great resignation is going on, and it's 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 at a global level, right? According to a Microsoft survey, 41% of global workers were considering quitting or changing professions in 2021, and that is not going to decrease in 2022. And I also read that in the US, more than 4.4 million people quit their jobs, according to the US Department of Labor. And this makes impact because that makes life harder for those who remain on the job. Um, knowledge is lost. And in other words, there's a combination of, I think, frustration, uh, less supervision, and that feeds a greater rationale for, uh, yeah, for undertaking illicit activity. And off the back of that, I guess I wanted to ask a bit more about your own experience, Rude. Um, I would be very curious to see if you think banks are doing enough to combat this growing threat of insider fraud. Yeah, I, that's a good question, Elizabeth. And uh, I think the short answer is uh, uh, not enough or simply no. Uh, I think uh, when I speak to, uh, to financial institutions, to banks, uh, the focus is uh, often on external fraud, right? External attacks are easier to spot. When it comes to insider fraud, um, I, I always say you don't know what you don't know. I, for example, I've spoken to banks in the past who told me that they have never experienced insider fraud at all, right? So, and when speaking or asking um, about internal fraud, people immediately think about financial theft and don't do not see. Uh, leaking data as an insider fraud incident. Um, and as you refer to already, um, the collusion between internal staff and external bad actors, that is often very difficult to prove. Um, what I'm hearing from banks is that there is often a suspicion. It's hard to get the evidence. And that's the reason that um, the insider fraud incident is reported as an external fraud incident. So I believe, I strongly believe that insider fraud is often underreported or not reported at all. And that makes it very difficult for senior management to create a business case and make a decision about investing in an insider fraud solution, right? So as I said, you don't know what you don't know. So uh, if you think there is no in insider fraud, then you no, probably do not have the intention to put measures in place. But um, well, in speaking to banks, um, I believe that fighting against insider fraud is equally important as fighting against external fraud. So not all fraud attacks come from the outside. And unfortunately, numerous financial institutions have found, um, often too late, that their own employees were misusing debit cards issued by the financial institutions. So while I think the, the vast majority of employees can be trusted and, and are honest, the danger of the insider threat is that it's the, uh, yeah, the bad apple that can take down the, uh, the entire tree. So, and again, insider fraud is a very sensitive topic. Not many financial institutions like to talk about it, and for good reasons, of course, right? There's a lot of sensitivity um, behind that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in the case of... Um, internal frauds, there are several reasons why better prevention practices aren't actioned or escalated as quickly as they ought to be. Um, maybe you should chat about the, uh, the why behind this resistance, Elizabeth, or uh, denial, if you like it, in a, in a bit more detail. Yes, absolutely. It, 
we see it as a key issue as well um, from from a themis perspective. Um, I think it is interesting to sort of frame resistance within the broader context first. Um, I would say that arguably some of this resistance isn't really intentional in a way, but rather the sort of product of a pretty demanding and rapidly changing risk and business climate. There's a lot of factors, I think, going on and, and contributing to this overall um, tone towards insider fraud. So first of all, I would flag that banks are definitely facing a lot of competing priorities right now. I mean, take COVID and um, maintaining business as usual. Um, these are just the, the latest of you know ongoing challenges that banks need to balance alongside one another. Um, FIs also arguably grapple with, you know, pretty poor, might I say, existing legacy systems um, that often take a lot of, you know, time, money, skill to keep up to date, aren't always sufficient in, in doing their job. Yeah, insufficiently strong tools are often flagged as sort of the biggest problem from um, banks that we've spoken to in our survey, 50% actually flagged at, flagged this as the main problem, which was the highest percent of among other um, problems that we explored. Um, specifically, the tools aren't always tailored to specific risks and lack, you know, targeted monitoring. So resources are often wasted on tracking uh, what what can be characterized as relatively low risk activities, while you know high risk ones. Uh, are neglected in terms of getting that real end-to-end visibility. And um, yeah, they're sort of lacking that holistic uh, risk approach. And in general, um, we see that tech needs tech needs more attention. I mean, it's great to have a good foundation in the basics, but um, the current tech trends aren't um, really detecting um, things until it, it until it's too late. Um, and this, this includes things like physical document examination, um, network, do- network data log reviews, and manual audits. There's also inadequate resources and capacity and budget for these issues. Um, 39% of FIs uh, were found to be um, understaffing and monitoring fraud and having inadequate training. Um, that being said, you still have to ask, you know, why is it that they're aren't more resources going towards this issue. But yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a multifold challenge um, that's arguably being sort of reinforced by a reactive um, rather than proactive response to fraud. And meanwhile, there's arguably not much of a you know business case in the short term for escalating suspicious activities um, all the time. Um, would you agree with that, Rude? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I think in this business, I've never heard so many synonyms for the same. Um, it's also a matter of language and tone, I think. So um, we have people talking about employee fraud, insider fraud, uh, bad actors, unethical behavior, or a juicier one I heard is um, the silent killer within the organization. With so many synonyms, uh, that tells us actually about the sensitivity of the subject, right? People don't want to make it explicit. Um, I think employee fraud sounds very unfriendly. It's, it's, it's as if you don't trust your own people or your own peers. But when you call it um, insider risk management or internal risk management, then suddenly you have a better topic for a conversation. At least that is my experience. And then there is also a resistance when a resistance when it comes to a big brother is watch, watching you culture. I think uh, there's um, also a privacy aspect, uh, employee privacy aspect. 
aspect, but also a customer privacy aspect. So on one hand, banks need to protect customer data and therefore would need to check if employees are misusing customer data or leaking customer data. And think of uh, an example where an employee is serving true customer data outside business hours without business reasons. You would li like to know that, right? And, and take action and prevent that um, as it might uh, bring the bank in trouble because uh, GDPR regulations are breached. But on the other hand, you need to respect employee privacy as well. So when you are monitoring employee behavior, there must be yeah, transparency about the nature and content of the monitoring. So uh, maybe you should monitor employees having access to sensitive or very privacy related uh, data, uh, but not monitor their email traffic or team chats, uh, to mention a few examples. And that depends on the business, of course. But I think for the purpose of, of monitoring, it must be specified, it must be explicit, and must be legitimate. And, and there's also a deterrence factor. So if you know your activities are monitored for legitimate reasons, you might not even think about taking the opportunity in terms of, <laughs> of the Cressy's triangle. Hey, Elizabeth, in your research, you found that 48% uh, of the banks you, uh, that were interviewed considered damage to tumor trust and brand reputation to be the most damaging uh, consequence. So, mm -hmm. so what needs to happen in your view? Yeah, indeed, there's, you know, there's a lot of damage coming from insider fraud. Um, and as you say, the extent of damage uh, may actually be underrated um, because of this tendency for banks to sort of under-discuss insider fraud or, you know, classify it as something else. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a huge issue and it's generally under-discussed. And damages can really span from, you know, operational impacts to direct financial loss to, you know, as you said, rep reputational damage and, and regulatory implications as well. And, but yes, from our own insta um, in our own internal research, it was found that the highest number of respondents said that reputational damages and consumer trust uh, was the most serious consequence of insider fraud. And in particular, I would flag data breaches as being very damaging to reputation, particularly now that you know so much client data is online um, and uh, vulnerable to. Uh, fraud. So it, it's become an increasingly sensitive space um, with repercussions for, for consumer trust. And so I guess just to pivot off of that, I think that, you know, with all of this in mind, we really need to ask what, what can we really do to improve the landscape? You know, there's sometimes a lot of sort of pondering and pontificating that uh, is done on these issues, but we really have to think about what what push factors are available to us to to improve the situation? And I guess I would like to start with mentioning regulators as playing an important role. Um, you know, we can put it all on banks, but we have to also discuss uh, the broader landscape and, and how others can contribute to to this fight. And I think GDPR is a really good example of the positive impact that regulators can have, um, you know, by requiring companies to really consider in a deep way who has access to personal customer data, you know, how it can be securely stored. We saw a real improvement compared to places where this hadn't been undertaken, such as in the U.S., um, 
But in general, I think regulation has been criticized for being uh, a little bit too ambiguous on this front. And indeed, our our research reflects this with 33% of our respondents saying that they would appreciate, you know, greater clarity and guidance from regulators and another 30% saying that while regulatory expectations are quite clear, um, more guidance is needed on actually how to get, get those done and fulfill those requirements. And I think in this sense, COVID could actually have a silver lining because I think it could actually jumpstart the conversation from regulators on necessary changes. And so this could actually be uh, one benefit of a truly challenging situation. Um, and we're already seeing some regulars, regulators coming forth um, with heightened pressure in this space. Um, in March 2021, we saw the UK PRA uh underscoring expectations to build up bank capacity to deal with, you know, the various stressors resulting from COVID. And this does include fraud. Um, And in in particular, they are, um, they pushed for more of a prevention as a means of uh, resilience attitude from banks. And I think that this definitely speaks to insider fraud as well. And then simultaneously, at the, in the same month, actually, the, the Monetary Authority of um, Singapore also published recommendations on operational resilience during COVID-19 and specifically around remote working. And I think that, uh, yeah, this is really encouraging. They specifically flagged the need for periodic review of insider fraud risks in a post-COVID world. So there are moves that are uh, from regulators that are emerging Um, And I think we can hope for more. Um, That being said, I don't think that um, banks should really wait for this regulation. Um, There's really no reason to, um, particularly given that from our research, as well as from, you know, broader conversations um, on this subject, it's clear that it's clear that banks are the ones that have suffered the consequences of this in the end. So it's really in in their best interest to be proactive, even if regulators are not always um, ahead of the curve on this. And another interesting fact from the from the survey, Elizabeth, was that um, the, the technology employed by many banks is uh, falling short, right? Its mm-hmm. uh, its ability to prevent and detect uh, insider fraud. And I believe one of the conclusions was that uh, many firms are still relying on outdated and traditional forms of uh, insider fraud prevention. And actually, those technologies are no longer sufficient, or you know. Um, uh, detect uh, um, too late after the damage is already done. Um, speaking to banks, I see that um, if there are systems in place, then it's often based on analyzing log and uh, log and audit files from systems. Mm. The issue with with these uh, uh, log and audit files is well the quality of the data, but also the availability of the data. Right, so these files have never been designed to discover. Uh, internal fraud. Um, so there are really limitations on the systems uh, and the technology out there that all depends on data availability and quality. One of the things, um, example, often uh, few actions, uh, example, employees uh, surfing through customer data, that's not detected at all, right? It's, it's not clear what's being looked at. Um, and it, that enti- entire activity is not catched in, in, in log and audit files. And I also see um, 
institutions are making use of agent-based monitoring. So basically they install software on every single laptop and every single desktop to monitor employee activity. Well, from a technical point of view, that's a maintenance nightmare. Mm -hmm. Also know that from a performance nightmare, <laughs> it's not suitable for large-scale implementations. Plus, from an employee privacy um, aspect, um, yeah, everything can be monitored. And, you know, when we talk about insider fraud or the insider risk, we have to respect privacy regulations. It means you cannot monitor everything. And even in some countries, that's not allowed by regulation. Um, I think um, banks should be more open to explore new technologies um, out there uh, by which they can manage, manage their insider risk. Regardless of, of whether the users work from their homes or from their offices, uh, but it should not invade their privacy, employee privacy. And, mm -hmm. and the focus should be on the business sensitive systems only. So I'm not meaning and the email traffic or the, or the team uh, chats. Absolutely. Um, one last thing, Elizabeth, based on your research, what, um, what are the biggest takeaways for the audience? Absolutely. And it's been a, an immense pleasure speaking with you about this key issue. I think my main takeaway um, and what, what came up again and again in, in, in my research, in discussions with, you know, a lot of cutting edge thinkers on this issue on in trends um, is that we really need to be pushing for a what I would call a detection as a form of prevention agenda. This means taking a proactive approach of, um, on the part of banks. Um, and I really see this in the interest of banks themselves, you know, in terms of reputational, operational, financial priorities, it, it all aligns. And I would say, say that by taking, um, you know, this deeply proactive detection and culture-based approach, um, rather than, you know, waiting for this growing problem to chase them down, it, it's really in their best interests. Right. Thank you, Elizabeth. Unfortunately, that's that's all we have time for today. Um, so all that's left for me is to thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us today's podcast on internal fraud in banks. Thank you very much, Rude. And uh, for the audience, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, for more information on this topic, please get in touch with the bottom line team or visit our website. See you all next time. Thank you. Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.